Welcome to another edition of Politics and Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. Today, we are honored to have Ray McGinnis. Ray McGinnis is the author of Unanswered Questions, What September 11 Families Asked and the 9-11 Commission Ignored. McGinnis believes the stories of the families of the victims of September 11th and their efforts to establish an inquiry into the attacks. Uh, he offers a doorway for theological reflection about what it means to live in a post 911 world. Welcome to Politics Done Right. Senor McGuinness, how are you doing today? I'm very well. Thank you to be uh, so good to be with you today. It's great being with you. Uh, first of all, tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, I, I was born in Vancouver, Canada. Uh, I have uh, studied at the University of Toronto, uh, a Bachelor of Arts degree. Uh, political science, religious studies, history, English literature. Uh, I was uh, a, a Christian education director and worked at the United Church of Canada, kind of like a Methodist, Presbyterian, Congregationalist, United Church of Christ in the USA. And uh, I was uh, involved in leadership development events and conference planning for 18 years. And then I, for the last uh, 18, 19 years, have been teaching writing workshops uh, through my own business uh, across Canada and, and elsewhere, and uh, teaching journal writing workshops and healthcare facilities to help people recover from uh, injury and, uh, and, and illness, uh, helping grief support groups to uh, journal their journey as they go through their journey of grief, having lost someone as well as uh, taking people on nature trails and stopping to write poems and looking at metaphors and everything. So it's, it's, a, it's a really been a good uh, run. And I wrote a book in 2005 called Writing the Sacred, looking at the biblical Psalms and helping people write their own new spiritual Psalms and poems as they would like to do in the 21st century. So uh, that's, you know, that's what I've been doing. And in a nutshell, I, 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 I am, I've got to be honest, I read about that and I read about that issue. I wanted my audience to hear that. But also, more importantly, uh, I wanted to give some context to then. Why would you write a book called Unanswered Questions? What the September 11th families asked and the 9-11 commission ignored. What really was the impetus for that book? Yeah, I would call myself the accidental author when it comes to writing about this. I thought somebody else would write the kind of book I've ended up writing. Uh, I, I was in Joshua Tree National Park in southeastern California on September 11th with 60 Americans from 30 states across the USA. And two people there had lost, uh, well, didn't lose, but they had a financial advisor who worked in one of the Twin Towers and they were very worried he would die. He did live, but it was very, you know gripping for them and difficult for everybody. Uh, and, you know, and I couldn't leave America for five days because no planes were flying and finally took a bus across from Seattle up to Canada. Uh, and then my life went on. Uh, fast forward in 2007, uh, I mean, the 9-11 Commission was a blip on the screen and the, the reporting up here in Canada was, you know, very marginal. Uh, I, I did see Condoleezza Rice uh, testify briefly before I was called to dinner visiting friends. And so I was surprised when I went to a bookstore in 2007 uh, uh, called, uh, I was get, looking for a new book to read in the middle of a writing workshop tour in Canada. And uh, Kristen Breitweiser, who lost her husband, Ron, in the South Tower, had written a book called Wake Up Call, The Political Education of a 9-11 Widow. And I looked at the book and decided to buy it. And I was really surprised that I could go for six years 
following the news as I do from time to time. Sometimes it's a writing workshop for a weekend or a week and I miss things, but I'm generally on top of the news. And how could I go for, five, for six years and not hear anything about the families in this regard? I'd read obituaries reprinted from the New York Times and local papers. And I'd heard people read the names of those they lost on anniversaries. And I'd read a few uh, you know, articles about some of the amazing people who sadly, tragically died that day. But I had not read anything in, in six years or heard anything on the radio or TV that let me know that among the families who lost loved ones, that there were hundreds and hundreds who went to New York, uh, to, to Washington, D.C. to rally in June of 2002, uh, who testified before the Joint Senate and Congressional uh, Intelligence Committees uh, and, and knocked on the doors of members of Congress and Senate to demand an investigation, and including asking the president to do so. And I thought, how could I have missed this whole story, which I learned uh, by the uh, co-chairs of the 9-11 Commission, Lee Hamilton and Thomas Keene, in their memoir, uh, uh, Without Precedent, referred to these families' efforts as one of the best examples of grassroots democracy and citizen advocacy in many decades. And I thought, how could I have missed that story? I mean, I, I knew who Rosa Parks was. She did something, you know, way back in the late 50s uh, to make a difference with civil rights. But here are these people who had lost loved ones. And we all talk about the families who lost loved ones and the September 11th families and the 9-11 and the heroes, the first responders. But here I was going six. So I decided after uh, reading her book, uh, I went to their website, which is still up there now. And you can look at their hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of questions that they asked the 9-11 Commission to investigate, which are still, were never addressed. 9% um, of the questions were addressed. 70% uh, were never touched on. Another about 20% were just sort of briefly grazed on or acknowledged, but uh, it wasn't uh, an investigation. If, if I went to, uh, when I was in school or university, if I had filled out a, an, uh, an exam and only answered 9% of the questions and just briefly mentioned a few others, I wouldn't have gotten a passing grade. So I thought that, uh, you know, and as the years rolled on, so about 2015, you know, I had, my dad had had cancer and for a number of years, I wasn't focused on thinking about writing a book or anything like this, but I, it, can, it occurred to me in conversation with a number of friends, relatives in the USA and friends up here, that here, were the, here was this amazing story about these families and a real accessible way, because we all understand the families. Uh, and I thought, uh, a way for me to write a book, um, which would be different than, than some other ones out there. There are numbers of other books that are, I would say, more declarative and assertive around uh, um, American government complicity, possibly, and writing more hardball political science or history books. And I wanted to write a book that would be uh, accessible for uh, the many thousands of people who'd taken writing workshops from me, who were not news junkies but we're interested in personal narrative. And I thought if I write this book, and, and in addition to some of the information that I would need to write about in terms of what these questions are that weren't addressed, if I layer it with enough personal story and let you know lift up excerpts of testimony before the 9-11 Commission from Mary Fetchett who lost her son, Brad, or Mindy Kleinberg who lost her husband, Alan, or Monica Gabrielle who lost her husband, Richard, and introduce these 12 people on the Family Steering Committee to the reading audience, plus other first responders and other people in the, in the story, 
then it'll be a book that that keeps moving from chapter to chapter and it'll be you know they people they won't be able to put it down let and, me let me stop yeah. you a second there uh, ray because uh, once we start talking about a 9-11 book or a book of 9-11 stories not covered the first thing that many people are going to think about is is this some sort of conspiracy theory book yes or no no, I wouldn't say it's a conspiracy theory. Uh, it's a historical fact that the families, uh, not all of them, many families and many people, when you lose a loved one uh, and you grieve, uh, the inclination is to tuck in, to grieve and heal and do that in private way off the spotlight of any kind of uh, news cameras or, or, or microphones from reporters. But here you've got uh, families that went to Washington, D.C., asked for an investigation. Uh, many of the people, the dozen people on the family steering committee, five of them uh, that I know of, and there may be more, but five of them I know for sure, told the press how they voted in the year 2000, and three of those five voted for the Bush-Cheney ticket. So the people who were involved in, in, in wanting to have an investigation, many of them believe that having voted for, the, for President Bush, that he would be their strongest advocate, that he of course would want to know what went wrong. Uh, and, and so uh, it's, a, it's a story writing about uh, the efforts of the families, uh, the actual questions that they asked the 9-11 Commission. And the commissioners, by the way, when they received the hundreds and hundreds of questions from these families, they said to the press in March of 2003 that these questions would be a roadmap for how to do the investigation. And so at least the public face of, of how they were receiving the family's questions was with great appreciation. And so it's, it's really, I really write about, you know, what happens behind the scenes, how the families are hopeful. I mean, Mindy Kleinberg said they were always hopeful that the government would answer the questions. And, and yet what, yeah. Let, 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 let's break you there because I, I want to kind of bring it now within the context of the program here and ask specifically, um, uh, you wrote the book to give these people a voice that they hadn't heard uh, from their, a voice that wasn't listened to by their own government. You were, you presented a book that was a part of their voices. Give me an example of some of these voices that weren't heard. Well, uh, some of the, some of the individuals. Um, yes. Yeah. So uh, Lori Van Auken lost her husband, Kenneth uh, Van Auken, who died in the North tower. Um, she lived in New Jersey um, uh, Sal, um, Sally Reaganhard is in Manhattan. She lost her her 28 year old son Christian, who was a, a U.S. Marine and now a probationary firefighter with the New York Fire Department for nine months. Uh, Patty Casaza uh, was a nursing student, and her husband John died in the North Tower. Uh, Monica Gabrielle uh, uh, lived in Man in Manhattan with her husband Richard. Uh, you know, she, you know, they, they were, you know, looking forward to retirement in 10 years. Uh, uh, Mary Fetchett lost her son, is up in New, New Haven, Connecticut, I think, or New Canaan, I mean. And uh, her son, Brad, was like 24 years old. Uh, he died in the South Tower. And, and so, I mean, so all these, of these... Now these, uh, these people that, that uh, it, it's tragic that these people have lost uh, family members. Did they do some sort of a... Uh, research thereafter to kind of find out exactly what they thought happened, why they wanted to go up to Congress and say, hey, you guys have not been telling the whole story? 
Well, they, they were aware. I mean, Mary Fetchett testifying before the 9-11 Commission on the 31st of March, 2003 said, uh, in, in 1986, there was a Challenger space shuttle with a number of astronauts that sadly died, 28th of January. And within five days, President Reagan said, we need to find out what went wrong so this doesn't happen again. And here you have uh, the greatest loss of, of, of life on U.S. domestic soil since Pearl Harbor in December of, of 1941. Why wouldn't the government want to know what went wrong, to fix whatever went wrong, to, like, whoever was, was falling down on the job or whatever you know, the protocols are so that they can you know, learn, the tra learn the tough lessons to make the nation safer going forward. Of course. Uh, yeah. Now, and, of, of these people that um, had any of these people, I know they had questions. And of any of these questions, were any of these questions informed by something, some entity that really kind of said the narrative that we're hearing on national TV isn't necessarily the appropriate narrative? You know, it's an interesting, it's an interesting question about the, the, you know, the catalyst for the momentum. One of the first things that happens is in September, October of 2001, Congress is discussing, I think, a $14, $15 billion bailout package for the airlines. And at that point, somebody on the con congressional floor said, ooh, ooh, I think we better have some, uh, the families also get some compensation too. So this is a big catalyst because you have all of these individual people, many of them who are, I mean, some of them uh, are, are familiar with politics. Some of them, Kristen Breitweiser had training in law, but many of them, I mean, Mary Fetchett said she was never involved in politics in any way before this. Uh, but now you have families gathering together because the government has communicated with them probably by letter and said, you need to come to this hall in New York City or Washington, D.C. and have a, 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 you know, an information session about the victim compensation fund let me People stop like, you there. i, I yeah. gotta stop you there because this is a political show okay and you the the, mo the most important political statement that you've just made for a program like mine is a statement you just made the government created a 15 billion dollar fund to bail out airlines before it even occurred to them to actually create some support fund for the victims and the victims families of 9-11 casualty, those buildings fallen. Did I understand that correctly? That's correct. And, and that is profound. And that tells much about who we are. Continue, please. I just had to, yeah. I just needed to get that out there for our, many, we have many viewers from all different ideologies. And when we try to explain to them that the way our system works is always catered towards you know whom, the, 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 the corporatocracy, and that people be damned. You just said it in a, a book that likely had nothing to do with this type of politics. Go ahead, please. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, there are people who are, uh, like Carrie Lemack uh, is one of the people, there are a whole number of, you know, dozens of different 9-11 family groups that are forming for various reasons in different places. One of them is called the Families of September 11 or the FOS 11. And Carrie Lemack and Robin Weiner are two of the people from that group that end up on the family steering committee that I'm following. But Carrie Lemack goes to one of these victims compensation fund meetings and she asks permission if she can write down the names and numbers of some other family members so they can talk to each other and stay in touch afterward. And that she's one of the people who 
who starts to get people to form a family group, but now they're starting to form clusters. And it's sort of over, over the, the, the winter of 2001, 2002, and the families are, are a lot of them are expecting uh, that the government is just going to go ahead and do the right thing and, and because of their own interest in, in security and, and, and defense to just find out what happened. But it seems that instead what's happening is Vice President Cheney is saying, uh, no, um, he's phoning Tom Daschle, the Senate minority le majority leader at the time, later minority and after the 2002 election, but he's majority leader saying he wants them to quash any, any efforts for an investigation. Uh, they're saying to, Cheney is saying, as, as is Bush, we don't have any money. Um, we, uh, uh, you know, it's a distraction. Uh, it'll be a comfort to the terrorists if we have an investigation. And I remember reading, uh, uh, you know, Carrie Lemax says it was, it was during, you know, I think there was a Washington Post headline in January of 2002 about Bush only wanting to have like a very secret behind closed doors investigation, if anything. And she hit the roof and said, you know, this is crazy. There needs to be an investigation. We need to know what, what's, you know, what went wrong. So, uh, so you have a lot of Republican as well as independent and Democrat family members that have one thing in common is they've lost some they've lost someone and and they begin to coalesce and they're all i mean the people who are gathering are wanting to stress nonpartisanship. they get a rally in june 11 2002 and uh senator uh joe lieberman from connecticut is there another prominent uh member of the senate is john mccain republican from arizona so you've got a lot of bipartisan support of republican and Democrat in the Senate and in Congress who are supporting and helping these families find out, you know, here's a fax machine or here's a photocopier on Washington, D.C., because people are getting dressed up to look uh, presentable and go and knock on doors. So they're finding their way. They're stick handling through it. And then finally, the president says, OK, uh, after a lot of pressure, because Kristen Breitweiser gives a, an electric performance uh, telling the the uh, Senate and, and Congressional Intelligence Committees in September 18, 2002, that there really needs to be investigation because all the things that they're supposed to go on, all these protocols they're supposed to happen just didn't seem to be going on at all. And so uh, they, ag they agree. And then there was somebody in the White House that said that um, to the press that a train was coming and nothing was going to stop it. And so the president signs this, uh, you know, uh, you know, we're going to go ahead and get to the bottom of this. And then he appoints Henry Kissinger, who's got a long track record of secrecy. Of course. Yeah. So the families gather in late uh, November, early December, and I think it's early December, and uh, they go to Kissinger's uh, office up on Parker Madison Avenue, and it's cold. They're wearing their winter coats, but he turns up the heat, you know, as high as the thermometer can go, uh, 86 degrees or something. And uh, they're peeling off their coats and, and he doesn't really want them to stay very long. Uh, and uh, a couple of them, Kristen Breitweiser has done some background checks on, on him and, and they want to make sure there's no conflict of interest. And he's pouring coffee for the dozen people there. And Lori Van Auken asks, you know, Dr. Kissinger, we just want to make sure that you don't have any conflicts of interest since you're going to head this uh, in investigation. You don't have any clients by the name of Bin Laden. At that point, he starts to spill coffee all over the coffee table and, you know, falls off the, loses his balance and falls off the, the couch and blames it on a fake eye. 
many of the women, uh, I think Patty Casaza mentions a lot, they kind of go into, into cleanup mode, their training as mothers and so on, and they start finding the paper towel and mopping up the, the coffee. But the next day- I wonder why. <laughs> but the next day, Kissinger resigns. And, and so then, then they have uh, Tom Keene, who uh, they you know, find out later has, is on, on a board of one of the companies as part of a consortium, very interested in having a pipeline across Afghanistan. And, you know, so in, and that, in effect, what you're saying is, in as much as we had a whole lot of dead Americans from a terrorist attack, which was legitimately a terrorist attack, I don't think yeah. you're disputing that, there was still money to be made or money that nobody wanted to risk by trying to expand that too much into investigating what families wanted to hear. Is that what I'm understanding, including not going after the Saudis who uh, were kind of escorted out of the country, as I recall? Yes, you know, you, the co-chair is Lee Hamilton. Um, I could say, okay, I mean, Bush is resistant. He's a Republican uh, administration. So let's, you know, a Democrat, Lee Hamilton from uh, Indiana, who's Good been- matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Uh, Lee Hamilton happens to be, they find out, a best friend of uh, Dick Cheney, a best friend of Donald Rumsfeld, Secretary of Defense for many decades. The Hamiltons, Cheneys, and Rumsfelds go off together for vacations from time to time. And uh, then the families, you know, are meeting in, you know, March of, of February, March of 2003, find out that Lee Hamilton is against having any public hearings at all doesn't want to have any people coming for subpoena, uh, no, no testifying under oath. You know, and he thinks it's going to be you know, dangerous to do those things. Well, so the yeah. yeah let, let me tell you, um, I, I think you, in your book, which has very little in, outwardly to what we talk about when we talk about the politics that we do here, proved that even that the politics that we do here affects not only the politics as we see it, but, but other items like 9-11, how the corruption within our economic system, the corruption within our political, socioeconomic system plays into this whole thing. Of course, Hamilton and Cheney goes out to lunch. Of course, these guys are in different parties. Of course, each of them presents the guardians of the gates of the majority party so that the one group in this country that does well continue to do well and they know no party they know nothing they just know about ruling and i think your book it, uh, present the i mean with all the imagination as it goes through presents that in a through a different lens yeah well and i mean the families you know like people expect that the people that they're relating to and getting to get to know who i mean they, they have an official liaison with two uh, 9-11 commission staff. Uh, they have a front row seat. They've given the, the commissioners the questions. And then they find out later on that the executive director, Philip Zelico, has together with another senior counsel, Ernest May, put together an outline in March of 2003 of the whole 9-11 commission report, the chapter headings and subheadings. This doesn't come out until the spring of 2004. But Bob McElvain, whose son Bobby died, and he's not on the family steering committee, but he was, you know, close, with, and he was also sometimes in part of some of these meetings. He says, just uh, it's, it's mind-boggling that you would have an investigation uh, where you prescribe what you think you're going to find before you start to do the investigation. Exactly. 
Yeah, I mean, you've also got Zellico, uh, um, his executive secretary, Heidi Hot uh, Karen Hotiker, uh, who had a, a resume from working at US embassies in Europe, expects a certain standard. And so she keeps a phone log and is disco discovers there's numerous phone calls that Zellico is receiving, uh, including herself from Karl Rove. Really? How many yeah. pages are in your book? Uh, 454. It, it seems that way because you have the whole story. Now, look, we are close to uh, getting out of time here. So in, in one minute, tell me a synopsis that you want all of our audience to know and tell them why you want them to check this book out and what it's going to do for them. Okay. I think that, that this book is about uh, the stonewalling and the ignoring of a legitimate inquiry into what happened in a major event, we all live in a post 9-11 world. And I think that democracy is, uh, you know, depends on transparency and accountability and trustworthiness. And when you have a government ignoring and, and trying to get away with addressing questions, even from first responders and family members, you have a problem. And I think that the story is a cautionary tale of what's, uh, what to keep watch for and, and keep vigilant. And so ironically, um, you're the, just the way you explain much of what um, uh, what what occurred, the intersectionality with what we talk about here is actually quite obvious. Now, um, I always ask the last question, I ask you to answer it in 30 seconds. What would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't? Um, <laughs> I would have liked you to ask me about the 9-11 Museum, as I think about it, and and to think about how that is a, a testament that's there, very physical, but also for your viewers to be curious about what are the more transitory exhibits in museums and galleries and in plays that have messages that are off, off message from what the museum suggests. Ray McGinnis, author of Unanswered Questions, what the September 11th families asked and the 9-11 Commission ignored. Thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Done Right. Great to be with you. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.